Hi, folks, and welcome to the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. I'm your host, Jess Sertikoff Ramola, a registered dietitian, dietitian supervisor, and owner of Empowering Dietitians, where I help burnt out and unhappy dietitians opt out of hustle culture and reclaim their passion and purpose as a human first and dietitian second. After all, we are all more than a dietitian. This episode is brought to you by my self-study course, Abundance, officially approved for 24 CEUs by CDR, including satisfying your ethics requirement. This self-paced course walks you through the eight tenets of creating a life for yourself as a dietitian and a human outside the confines of hustle culture, learning how to navigate or prevent burnout, manage your time more effectively, set better boundaries, cultivate a strong personal and professional identity, and more. With over 13 hours of video content, bonus modules on mindfulness and intention setting, and a comprehensive journal full of reflection exercises, bonus resources, and activities to apply what you learn in the course. Each module is broken down into bite-sized lessons so you won't get overwhelmed and you can easily pace your work without burning out. Early bird registration is open until May 15th with a savings of $90 off the regular enrollment price. All doors close June 7th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Learn more and enroll at www.empoweringdietitians.com abundance. All right, now on to the episode. In this episode of the podcast, I sit down with Charlie Golightly, a queer and gender expansive dietitian who takes an intersectional therapeutic approach to their work to support and uplift folks struggling with eating disorders. In addition to seeing courageous clients in their private practice, MoxieMind, they offer supervision to support other brave, thoughtful dietitians who give a damn about their clients and provide affirming care. If you couldn't tell by that description alone, I am a huge Charlie fan. The work that they're doing is exactly what our field needs, and I hope you'll get a glimpse of that in today's episode as well, as we sit down and chat about how practitioners can bring their humanity into their sessions, how we can regulate our own emotions that come up while working with patients, and what Charlie hopes to see for the future of dietetics. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am very excited. I say this all the time. This is my like go-to thing. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, <laughs> but I love talking about anything, all things related to caring for us as the practitioners. And that seems to be something that uh, we are both in line with. So for anyone who isn't familiar with you and the work that you do, can you give a little like 411 background about what you're all about? Yeah. So um, I work in the intersections of, um, I think, just like being a human and uh, eating disorder care and being a dietitian, um, also like a multi-privileged clinician working with often marginalized folks. Um, and so understanding how my own being shows up in the space and how I want to support and uplift people 
Um, and I don't know, does that cover it? <laughs> yeah, I think it does. So I love that you mention being a human and the intersection of that, because I think so often uh, as practitioners, we're kind of expected to be almost stoic or robotic mm. or resilient to mm -hmm. a fault, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and even in my uh, internship experience, I remember there being very clear communications and expectations about what we wore and what are, you know, no facial piercings, for example, <laughs> and I had to change my hairstyle and like very specific things to make us, I think, you know, assimilate to a certain, I'm sure linked to white supremacy culture. Of course. Um, and standard. And realizing, you know, in my several years of being a dietitian, oh, I'm actually so much more effective and content and regulated when I'm able to show up as myself. Yes. Yes. Because we have to be able to feel comfortable in order to not be thinking, I guess, about ourselves. Would you say the whole mm -hmm. time that we're supposed to be showing up for other people? Well, and just the irony of, especially in eating disorder work of helping folks you know, live their most authentic selves and versions of their <laughs> lives as possible. But yet as the clinician so supposedly being, you know, not my authentic self at all, it just doesn't make sense. It feels really untrue and dishonest and inauthentic to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And is your work in eating disorders, is that where you first got introduced to supervision as a concept? Because that's not super common or well-known outside of that space. Right. right. Supervision is so uh, new to dietetics. And yes, my first introduction to it was in the eating disorder spaces. I don't honestly know if I had even heard of it before working in eating disorder spaces. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't even know exactly how I first came under, like stumbled upon it, but it wasn't something that was on my radar for a while. So it, it sounds like you experienced it as a supervisee first before going on to become a supervisor yourself. Yes. So when I was working in, when I started working in eating disorders, um, I was at first part of a, a therapist group practice. Um, and so mm -hmm. I was getting, it was it seemed a little bit more aligned with therapy, which, you know, is where supervision is like, stemming from to begin with. Um, but then shortly, I, uh, shortly after that experience, I started my own private practice and was working more with eating disorders. And so it was in part that um, I, you know, was starting this new sort of, uh, you know, niche or part of dietetics, but also that I was on my own and needed some support and uh, yeah, just people to sort of bounce ideas off of as well. Absolutely. And do you remember what got you interested then in providing it yourself? Was it the experience that you had receiving it or was something else kind of the catalyst? Yeah, I think that I have always been drawn to uh, teaching and supporting other people. And of course, that's been really great in my work with clients. And then as I've um, just been in the field longer, it's been more of a, a call to me or an interest to want to work more with clinicians. And I've had many different supervisors and supervision experiences. And 
Uh, I think especially as someone who identifies as a highly sensitive person or an HSP and just is really uh, kind of in touch with the relationship aspect of working with clients and like the feeling in the room that some of my experiences in supervision, it, it became clear sort of early on, um, like, oh, when I meet with this supervisor, they, you know, are really nice and are really um, full of knowledge. And they tend to just give me the answer straight away. And mm-hmm. I don't have any time to think for myself or I think about it later. And that actually doesn't seem like the help, helpful sort of to do in this situation um, versus, oh, I had this experience where I really got to um, cultivate my own curiosity and wisdom about things I already know about the situation and, you know, clinical experience and all that. And yeah, it just, it started to become really obvious to me that there were different um, styles of supervision. And I think in particular, because supervision is so new in dietetics, it often ends up being more like case consultation rather than yes. reflective space. Mm-hmm. And I feel really passionate about giving and receiving <laughs> reflective <laughs> supervision. Um, that's, you know, really the only kind of supervision I'm interested in receiving anymore. And yeah, I just think it comes with such, again, circling back to that layer of like authenticity and, and both the clinician and the client are showing up in the room and how do we honor what's happening in all of the like layers. Yes, absolutely. And I think about that too, because, because supervision isn't normalized in our field and therefore I don't love the word regulated, but there, there aren't a lot of expectations or guidelines around it. Uh, I've found that a lot of our experiences with pseudo supervisory relationships come in the form of maybe preceptors or bosses and, that tends to have some of that inherent uh, power over dynamic mm-hmm. to it, or the I'm the expert, you're coming to me for advice, so I'm here to give you the answers. And yes. what you're talking about is a type of supervision that it's the reflective space that I also have completely fallen in love with of I'm here to be in it with you, to listen, to maybe ask you the questions that you need to come to a realization yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for pointing out the power differentials, because I think, again, that is something that is really common in the field of dietetics in how we're trained to work with clients, where we are the experts giving them answers and solutions. And so I think it, you know, makes sense that that feels like a natural transition into supervision as well. And we're still met with this problem of, um, yeah, I don't want to be in a power struggle. Yeah. with anyone that I'm, that I'm working with or seeking support from. And, and it really strips the, um, the humanness, right? We just keep circling back. Like I don't want to be a robot that pretends to know all of the answers because I'm not, and I don't. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, I don't know about you. I, I definitely want to circle back again to the, the humanness piece because it, it is so important. But, um, one thing that, came up when you were talking was the fact that even though I don't do as many case consultations, it, it of course comes up, but it's not the, the heart of the supervision that I do. One of the benefits that supervisees get is they're seeing a form of relating to another person modeled that isn't goal oriented, that isn't, um, prescriptive and 
they're able, like I've had many supervisees say that they like listening to the way that I ask questions or the way I approach a situation because it gives them a lot of insight into how they can then use that with their own patients or clients. Absolutely. I mean, talk about a parallel process happening, right? right? The way that we can show up in relationships um, in, in professional contexts, but, you know, both with our supervisor and with our clients. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of skills that I've learned from supervisors as well of how mm -hmm. I want to um, ask questions to clients or, you know, be again in the room with them. Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk about being a human in the room with our supervisors or supervisees, with our clients, with whatever human we're with, we talked a little bit about some of those power dynamics, but what else do you feel holds us back from being able to really do that or to feel comfortable doing that or being that? Yeah, I think there are so many tenets of um, I mean, I'm often thinking about white supremacy culture and how sure. it shows up for me, particularly as a white person. Um, but I, you know, a lot of um, perfectionism is really common, I think, in dietetics and this idea of um, coming back to this expert role mm -hmm. or feeling like we always have to know the exact answer or get things exactly right. And though that's, you know, not an exhaustive list by any means, but I see those things coming up really often for folks where, you know, there's less of an opportunity to be vulnerable and say, hey, I need support around this thing, or I actually don't know what I'm doing here. Can you please help me? Um, and I yeah. think, yeah, it's, we're also talking about having um, a relationship that has built enough trust where you could ask someone that or say that to someone. Um, and so I think another piece of supervision when it's just case consult, there's, um, or, or even if it's kind of a, a one-off, um, I think those all serve a purpose in some way. And also there's going to be less room for you to, you know, say the hard thing to <laughs> someone that you barely know, or that you're seeing one time. And yeah. so, yeah, I think there's, um, just as we can see the trust and all of the great things that that leads to in our sort of long-standing relationships with anyone, clients or otherwise, it's the same in supervision, right? Of just being able to have um, a space that is carved out for you and um, coming to this intentional as safe as possible kind of yeah. Uh, place. Yeah. And so it sounds like kind of what I'm hearing from you is that part of this is deeply embedded in the culture of our profession, right? The, yeah. the expectation to be an expert. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many times it was drilled into me as a student. You are the nutrition expert, right? Like that's mm -hmm. what we're led to believe. And I understand where it's coming from. It's meant to foster the confidence in our worth and our abilities. But the flip side of that is that it puts so much, so much pressure on us to know it all and to never be able to be vulnerable either with saying we need help or even with our clients to say, I actually don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. I um, just finished up teaching my first semester as a professor at a local university. And 
I actually really enjoyed any time a student asked me a question I didn't know because it reminded me that I was still a student too yes. and that I am not a walking nutrition encyclopedia. Um, and I actually take great pride in that of like, oh, I don't remember exactly what this, you know, B vitamin does. Cool. <laughs> that must mean, you know, um, I have other things to learn or there are other things that have been, you know, more utilized in my practice. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it shows them too, that oh, yeah. just because you're a quote unquote registered dietitian, you've, you've kind of made it for lack of a better phrase. Uh, you don't have to know everything. And that means that they're not going to have to know everything when they get to that point. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, academia is another place <laughs> where there's perfectionism drilled into everything. And yes. I know that at least for my internship experience, there was so much pressure to have a certain GPA and certain work experience and you know, ref, ref, uh, references and all these things. And um, of course, those all serve a purpose. And also it's it's a kind of whiplash when you get out into the real world practicing and you're like, oh, wait, I don't know if I actually yes. still need to lean on any of these things. Yeah. And and I think that that breeds the larger question of, you know, yes, we need to be doing some of the more systemic work. But if someone listening is like, well, I can't take on the entire culture of dietetics overnight. What are some things that we can do either ourselves as individuals or in, you know, our smaller communities that can embrace that humanity of what we do and challenge some of those barriers that are holding us back? This is such a good question. It's the million dollar question. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I think that one of the first things coming to mind for me is this emphasis on community. I think particularly in the United States, we have such a, an individualized, um, you know, way of being and we need each other. And so I, I think there can be a lot in, um, saying like, you know, I don't get this or I don't know, or can we lean on each other? Um, I think there can also be power in, yeah, just saying like, I'm not going to do this on my own. I don't have to, and I don't have to be perfect at it. Yeah. And I, I think also when you surround yourself with people, other dietitians who are also saying, yeah, I have those insecurities or yeah, I messed up or, you know, even a dietitian who you may look up to on paper, who shows their own humanity, that type of community helps you realize that this doesn't have to be a big secret that you keep to yourself. There's no shame. It's actually normal and expected that you're going to say some funky things or draw a blank or not know something. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, also community can help sort of call you in, right? Mm -hmm. um, hey, you said something that actually didn't land very well. Can we talk about that? Or, you know, I think um, just having other people who have got your back and yeah. you've got theirs. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, since you mentioned calling in, I have a lot of dietitians who come to me terrified, terrified of saying the wrong thing and being like, quote unquote, canceled. And um, I am curious to hear your take on that too, if you feel comfortable sharing. But one of the things that I remind them is that um, it's less about the, the one thing that you did or didn't do quote unquote wrong. It's much more about how you respond to it when someone calls you in or mentions it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's always really important for, especially those with, of us who are multi-privileged to consider <laughs> impact uh, over <laughs> intention. Um, and like you said, that we're all messy humans who are going to make mistakes and, you know, I'm, I, I believe that if we can be as thoughtful as possible while still saying or doing something, and then as you were saying, you know, if it's, if it's not the thing, uh, if we made a mistake, then owning it and, um, trying to move forward as we can. And of course that doesn't diminish the potential harm or the impact yeah. that we could have on people. But, um, yeah, I think, I, I personally think it's better to, you know, do or say something rather than sitting back because we, again, as all, as multi-privileged clinicians, especially, um, it, there's a lot of change that needs to happen <laughs> both in our own, you know, personal unpacking and as the field in the field at large, um, and not to say that we are the ones that need to be like taking up the space and saying the things, um, but especially white clinicians, we make up the bulk of the field. So like, we got to be changing something. Yeah. Yep. And, and it really just goes back to that. Um, most of the time, the first time you say something that doesn't land well, you're not going to lose your license. You're not going to like lose your, it's, it's not, we tend to think in those worst case scenario uh, mindset and usually it's more about how we hold ourselves accountable and how we move forward from that situation that determines how others react. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think some um, sort of proof for backup, but lack of a better <laughs> word on um, how we're growing and how we're doing better moving yeah. forward is can be really powerful too. Yeah. And now this of course is not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we don't yep. like the idea of making mistakes because perfectionism runs deep. Um, we also, I genuinely believe that most, if not all dietitians are fairly empathetic, compassionate humans who got into this because we want to help people. And so the idea that rather than helping, we're accidentally unintentionally doing harm, that feels super uncomfortable. So when we talk about emotions that come up, whether that's a hard emotion that comes up in more of a social justice, changing the culture of the profession space or emotions that come up in a session for us. How do we regulate? How do we not just shut down when that discomfort or that strong emotion comes up? <laughs> um, I in 30 seconds or less. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's my sound bite. Um, I think a lot of practice and I mean, I, I, it's a combination of work that's happening in and outside of session. At least that's what I would say that's happened for me personally. And I mean, we're talking about nervous system regulation. We're talking about, you know, deeply held beliefs um, and understandings about the world and how we fit into it. Um, so, you know, it is uncomfortable and it is challenging. And I think the only way that that we can sort of get better at it is understanding how and where it happens and doing our best to try and, and minimize. Um, 
and supervision. (laughs) Like it's so nice to have a space where I can go and tell my supervisor, like I got really pissed off by this Mm -hmm. thing that my client said. Right. And how do I navigate being in a session where I'm having a really strong emotion come up? Yes. Yes. I don't know if I actually answered a question there, but (laughs) (laughs) I know you did because it, it really comes back to needing more space. I think we think of our work as like client facing or patient facing. And certainly, um, especially if you're not in a private practice setting, if you are in more of a clinical space, your ROI is calculated based on how many people you see. And we tend to devalue the work that happens on ourselves or with ourselves after a session ends, after a visit ends. Yeah, I think and maybe some people feel like I should add the word unfortunately before this, uh, but I think that, you know, there's uh, work to be done outside of the time spent in a session, right? That mm-hmm. it's not really a, I think if we're really invested in our role as therapeutic clinicians, that it's not just like a clock in and clock out sort of situation. Mm-mm. That to say, I mean, also have, let's have some boundaries and make sure we're not. Yes, please. Um, but yeah, I think that there, there is going to be some wondering and considering outside of the time with clients as well. And, um, especially when it comes to ourselves, because again, we're so taught that we're the experts in, in providing information for clients. And then I think it can transition from there to maybe I'm so invested in what the client is experiencing, which is great. But I think even further sort of evolution is how, how do I feel in this moment and what came up for me and how is that impacting how I then respond in the situation or is there counter-transference happening, right? There's, um, we can't forget about ourselves. We're, we're a human in the room and we're a piece of the puzzle as well. Yeah. And what you said about, you know, our, our work isn't really a clock in and clock out kind of thing. The way that I see that is not like, you know, answer your emails at one o'clock in the morning. It's more the way that we nurture ourselves and care for ourselves as whole ass people outside Mm -hmm. of being a dietitian impacts the work that we do as dietitians, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that if I'm dysregulated and having a hard time, I'm going to have to do a lot more work before, during, and after sessions to make sure Mm -hmm. that I'm showing up as regulated as I possibly can. And that's not like a I'm a robot and I'm always fine and neutral. That's like, I have to take care of myself so I can get through this day. And also I have to take care of myself so that my clients are okay. Yes, absolutely. And that's the beauty of something like supervision. I mean, I think we're broken records because we've like drank the Kool-Aid and (laughs) and see the benefits of it. But um, it's, it's a space for you to like decompress and know that your needs are being taken care of. And like the fact that I'm supervised and well therapized and all of the things is assurance to my clients that they're not going to have to shoulder the burden of whatever shit I'm going through that day. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think if you've ever had a session with like a, you know, a therapist or any kind of provider who seems, uh, maybe not super well or rushed (laughs) or, you know, kind of having a bad day, like it it does have an impact and you might hold back or, um, you know, otherwise have a different session than, than you 
whatever they felt like they were okay. And again, I, I really want to send home that we're not saying like, you have to be, be okay all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's not real. But I think, yeah, there's just this um, space that exists in supervision to make sure that you're well tended to. And it's, it maybe is like this overlap a little bit of like therapy and it's like work therapy. Yes. It's a, it's a good way of summarizing it. And so because of that, I have to ask, I already have my biased answer, but <laughs> do you feel as though this is something that is specifically for private practice dietitians or can others benefit from this type of work and this support? Oh my gosh. I wish it was a million percent normalized for all clinicians, all dietitians to have supervision, <laughs> reflective supervision. Yep. Um, you know, we're not there yet. I, I do feel really proud that there are some people leading the way and that it's becoming more normalized. And also, you know, in eating disorder world, there's um, the CED certification that yes. you are required to get supervision for. And so I think for a lot of people, that's a gateway to supervision. And I think I'm seeing more in the last several years of people being interested in supervision, even if they're not pursuing a credential or they are sort of, you know, made to do supervision. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm really hopeful <laughs> and I absolutely think it would benefit everyone. I, of course, biased. I agree. chamber <laughs> <laughs> here. Just, I didn't set you up with that question at all. Um, but I, I ask that because I, I do think that it is much more common for private practice. And of course we see it a lot with case consultations and I really want to drive home if you're listening and you're struggling as a dietitian or you feel like you could simply use support that's it period you deserve support it doesn't matter what area of dietetics you're working in absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah because we all have these parts of ourselves that maybe feel like an imposter or are confused or unsure um, or we have questions that we need some help answering. And I think this is also really evidenced, no shade. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> we see a lot of, we see a lot of people posting on Facebook groups about case questions, right? Yep. And I think that to me always really showcases how desperately people need supervision spaces, um, but maybe don't know that they need it. And yep. yeah, I think, like, again, no shade to these people posting questions. I get it. We have to have a, a, a place somewhere to ask something. Um, and I think also supervision would be a great place to take that. Absolutely. And you also don't wind up with the like too many cooks in a kitchen effect mm -hmm. of asking a Facebook group that has thousands of people in it that can almost get overwhelming. Um, and that's why having that relationship with someone you've trusted and you've, you've built up a rapport with can be a huge game changer when it comes to having questions about any of your work. Yeah. Well, and talk about no nuance on social media, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just someone's uh, opinion on a very brief snippet that you've posted that might also not have all of the yep. <laughs> details and nuance that it might need to, you know, get you sort of where you want to go. So yeah, I think, I think that there are some much deeper and profound ways to, um, to do the work and probably in a way that feels a lot more nourishing and satisfying. I would agree. And hopefully we start seeing more supervisors and more embracing of supervision for dietitians across the board, which kind of brings me to my last like magical question that <laughs> I 
you're going to be like, Jess, why, why are you asking me these hard questions that I can't answer in like a minute or less? But um, as we wrap up, aside from more supervision, what do you hope to see out of the future for dietetics? Like one, one little piece of what you hope the future holds for us as a profession. Um, more intersectional care, more diversity. I think those go hand in hand. Um, again, I, I think the fact that our field is predominantly white women is really doing a disservice to, um, you know, the field and, and who we serve and not to say that, that we can't do an excellent job, but that, um, yeah, I think that we need voices from people of other lived experiences and, and I mean, not just in our profession, but the world. Of course. Right. So that would be a big direction that I hope we're heading towards. Yeah. And the abundance in the community to realize that diversifying voices and lived experiences doesn't diminish ours, uh, mm-hmm. that we're actually stronger as a profession and we're able to do more collectively when we have that. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting through this. I'm sure that I could go on and on (laughs) all night with you about this, but uh, for the sake of brevity and our listeners, uh, where can they kind of learn more about what you're doing, what you're up to, get in touch with you, all of the good things? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at moxiemind. And you can also find my website, moxie-mind.com. And I'm sort of intermittently on Instagram, but you can always reach out and I'm happy to connect. I love doing uh, like virtual or real-time conversations with people. And so if you ever want to grab a virtual coffee or something, I'm happy to do that. Beautiful. And as always, you know the drill listeners, it'll all be in the show notes. If you didn't catch it down or you're not sure of spelling, it's all there. Um, but I highly, highly encourage you to check out all of the work that's being done here. Um, you're doing absolutely fantastic, exciting stuff. So thank you for joining me today and chatting. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was great chatting with you, Jess. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there are two things you can do that dramatically help support the show. First, leave a quick rating and or review of the show on your podcast listening app, particularly Apple Music. This helps new listeners find the show. Second, sharing this episode with a dietitian friend can also go a long way in helping us spread the Empowering Dietitians message far and wide. And speaking of supporting one another, please don't be a stranger if you find yourself in need of that supportive space yourself. There are a number of ways to work with me from one-on-one supervision packages to my course abundance and periodic standalone masterclasses and workshops. The best way to stay up to date on which of those services and offerings are available at any given time? Grab my free dietitian journal to sign yourself up for my email list at www.empoweringdietitians.com slash free. That's www.empoweringdietitians.com slash F-R-E-E.